Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. Good morning, everyone. How is everyone doing today? Good. Um, A very happy Black History Month to you all. That one time of the year where jerk chicken and jollof rice can be on the same plate in harmony. Amen. And to those people that have the audacity to put ketchup or mayonnaise on that, just know that we're praying for you. We're praying against the um, bondage of condiments in Jesus' name. Um, As Raf mentioned, my name is Natalie. Uh, I work on the staff here at Christchurch London. Um, And you'll usually find me um, on Sundays at our central London service, uh, where I lead the service there with David and Philippa. Um, And everyone from central sends their love and prayers to you guys. Um, And during the week, I actually live locally in Poplar. So um, I'd love to meet you, particularly if you're new. Do come and say hello. Um, So we are resuming our teaching on the Gospel of Luke this week. And if you haven't already guessed, this talk is going to be about prayer. You see what we did there? Like we just coordinated all the notices around this talk. How great are we? Um, (laughs) I'm really... um, fortunate that uh, this talk has come at a great time because it seems that you guys are doing some prayer events, taking a time to pray as a service. Um, And that's really exciting because when you look in scripture and also when you look at the church across the years, there are countless examples of how God's spirit moves in power um, and it often starts by people gathering together to pray. So I really hope that this talk can encourage you as you embark upon um, this time of prayer as a service. However, I also recognize that not everyone finds it easy to pray regularly. Um, in fact, it's my earrings that are messing up the mic, is it? Do I have to take them out? Oh, but, you know, I was like, Black History Month, Africa, you get me? And now... All right, I'll just take the one out. I'll just take the one. Okay. All right, cool. Can I? I don't know. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, I confess that I often find it, I found it challenging to prepare for this talk, actually, because if I'm being honest, prayer is probably one of those spiritual disciplines that I really find the most difficult because my default position in life is often to stumble through life and to try and fix things in my own strength. Um, and so coming to God in prayer, recognizing my weaknesses, telling him how I feel about things is a bit hard for me. So if you can relate to some of those feelings, I want to say that you're not alone in this, that God is patient with us, often more patient with us than we are with ourselves in this area. And he cannot love us any more or any less, irrespective of the standard of our prayer lives. And we're not Christians because of how much we pray. We're Christians because of Christ. So with that said, prayer is a wonderful privilege given to us by God to communicate with him. And he desires for prayer to be full of blessing and not of burden in our lives. So hopefully that shines through in our message for today. And it would make sense at this point for me to pray as we go forward. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege of being able to read your words and to listen and to understand it. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to um, work in my heart and to speak through me and to work into the hearts of everyone here. May we receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage begins like this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, on the face of it, this request from this disciple isn't actually that unusual. Um, If you were at our summer retreat a couple months ago, we had a guest speaker, Joshua Luke Smith, and he spoke about how young Jewish students would seek a rabbi to learn from, and they would try and emulate everything that this rabbi did so that they could become more like them and seek their approval and favor. So seeing Jesus as their rabbi, the disciples, they sought to learn from him. Indeed, just as they said, John the Baptist's disciples did too. And secondly, the concept of prayer is not unusual either because prayer was a central part of Jewish faith and tradition during the time of Christ. For example, the disciples would have almost certainly recited a prayer known as the Shema, Um, And it was used at the beginning and the end of the day. And it's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength. So if a rabbi is teaching his disciples about prayer, and that's not particularly profound, then why has Luke included this account in his gospel? Well, it's because Jesus was not simply just another rabbi. It was becoming inherently um, obvious to the disciples that Jesus was who he said he was, the son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. So I can just imagine that as this disciple watched Jesus praying, he observed something different about the way that Jesus prayed to God, the Father. And he desired for Jesus to show him how he could do the same. In an article, Professor Benjamin L. Glad, he writes something similar. He says, this verse gives the impression that the disciples noticed something peculiar about Jesus' prayer life. Was it when Jesus prayed, how he prayed, or what he prayed? Was it all three? Well, I want to explore all three aspects today because I believe that Luke shows us that Jesus' approach to prayer was distinct in these three ways. So firstly, when did Jesus pray? Well, Luke's gospel shows us that Jesus prayed a lot. In fact, Luke recounts Jesus going to pray more than any other gospel. Here are some examples. So we have Jesus, he's being baptized, um, and as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Luke chapter 5, just, this follows just after um, Jesus has healed uh, a leper, so he's 
creating a name for himself, as it were. News is spreading about him. Loads of people want to hear his message, be healed. But we're told that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. On one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. And finally, Luke chapter 9. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? Of course, I'm sure there's loads of other instances where Jesus prayed that were not recorded by Luke or the other gospel writers. But I think what Luke is trying to show us here is that Jesus' life and ministry was heavily centered around his devotion to prayer. And notice how Jesus is praying at critical points in his ministry, you know, when he gets baptized, um, where he's becoming more known by the people and, and it's being revealed to them who he really is, when he chooses his 12 apostles, and when he asks them about who the crowds say that he is and ultimately asks them who they think he is. He is prioritizing prayer over opportunities to teach or demonstrate his miraculous power. Because Jesus recognized the need to commune regularly with his Father in heaven, to seek him for wisdom and guidance whilst on earth. But the thing is, when we struggle with prayerlessness in our Christian walk, and I'm sure we can all say that we've been there at some point, we can tend to see it as an issue of discipline. You know, oh, you know, I'd love to pray, but I just can't find the right time. There's just so much going on, and I have good intentions, but then it gets to the end of the day, and I'm exhausted, and I've just missed my opportunity. Um, but I actually think that the real cause of prayerlessness is not an issue of discipline, but it's an issue of theology, because we don't really fully understand how essential prayer is to our spiritual life and well-being. We can see prayer as simply just this direct line to God's listening ear when we need it, but we don't see it as the life support that keeps us spiritually alive. Now, recently, I've gotten into watching this show called Alone. Has anybody watched this before? Anyone? No one, okay. Um, I don't think that's ever happened. I am alone in watching alone. Okay. So basically, 12 contestants, they get dropped by a helicopter in the Canadian wilderness, like in random parts, and they have to survive on their own as long as they can with minimal equipment. And whoever survives the longest wins 100,000 pounds. Now, I want the record to state that I will never, <laughs> ever <laughs> do such a thing, okay? I can just about survive the little Christian festival, stay in the camp for three days. I will never do a show like this. If I ever come to you saying, I'm applying for this show, Jesus is coming soon, and you need to pray and fast, amen. Um, but if at any point this social experiment becomes too much, the contestants are allowed to tap out by using a phone that's given to them and telling the team, I need to be taken back up the helicopter, basically. Now, what do you think was the top reason why the contestants couldn't hack it on the show? 
Well, not many people give me answers, <laughs> but um, Raf said it. Hunger, yes, food, um, lack of food, because the contestants were, of course, required to source their own food, and soon discovered that without it, they just simply didn't do, didn't have the energy to do things like build a shelter or even hunt for food in the first place. That like you need calories to even be able to go find calories, right? Um, but that's not surprising, is it? Because food is a necessity for physical survival. It's not simply an option. You know, if you're that hungry, you're not like, well, you know, I just find it hard to prioritize food. You know, I get to the end of the day and it's like, oh, wow, I didn't eat. Never mind. You just, you, ha you get hangry and then you get home and you're like, I don't care what's in the cupboard. I'm going to eat it because I need to eat. But in the same way, prayer is a necessity for spiritual survival. Because when we starve ourselves of prayer, we simply won't have the spiritual energy and faith that's needed to continue in the highs and lows of following Jesus. And sure, prayer doesn't make you a Christian any more than eating makes you a human being. But the quality of your Christian walk is greatly dependent upon your time spent looking to God in prayer. And throughout history, if you look behind the lives of great men and women of the faith, you will see that it's often a life that is devoted to prayer. Um, and that is why the goat, Martin Luther, put it best, yeah, it's not Drake, it's this guy, put it best when he said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Now let's talk about how Jesus prayed. Um, well, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus touches on how to pray during his Sermon on the Mount. And you might have noticed that this form of the Lord's Prayer in Luke is actually shorter than the one we have in Matthew that is more well known. Um, and along with that, he tells us, you know, different things about don't pray big, long-worded prayers. Go to your room alone and simply pray to God. And we don't get as detailed an answer as we do here, but there is one word that would have certainly been a game changer for the disciples, and that is the word, Father. You see, in the Old Testament, God is actually referred to less as a father than he is in the New Testament. Um, author Ray Ortland writes this, though the Old Testament clearly calls God a father a few times, and there's these examples in scripture, the writers of the Old Testament lay greater emphasis on our distance from God and the reserve we should feel before him. God is revealed more as separate from us and beyond us, and he is seen less as intimate and close to us. The Old Testament view of God is true and wonderfully humbling for us. We hasten to bow low before our powerful creator and high king. So yes, we, we should still remember that there is an otherworldly nature of God, and so we should have reverence for him. However, when Jesus arrives in the New Testament, he naturally relates to God as his father because he is his son. And through Jesus, God's personal and intimate nature is revealed to us. And not only this, but Jesus invites us to call God our father, through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, we are introduced to God and we have a familial relationship with him. 
And that's why Jesus says in Luke 10, 22, no one knows the son except the father and no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal to him. Or think of it this way. I'm sure some people will know, if you know me, I'm very close to my parents, only child energy. Um, And here's a picture of me and my dad. As an aside, I spent 20 minutes arguing with my dad about the fact that we took this picture because he did not believe that he'd ever been here at Christmas time. I was like, I literally have the picture on my phone. Um, But if you were to come with me to my parents' home for dinner and I introduced you to my dad, he would certainly go out of his way to ensure that you receive the best hospitality. He would welcome you in, he would listen to your story, and he would respond eagerly to you. Now, would it be because you're an extraordinary person? Or maybe, but probably not. Um, No, the likely reason would be because you were introduced to him by his only daughter, who who he knows and loves. And if I say that you're good people, then that's all he needs to know. So in an even more powerful, life-changing way, we are partaking in the love and grace and intimacy of God the Father because of our faith and relationship with Jesus the Son. So when we pray, we're not praying to some distant, stoic deity up there in the cosmos somewhere. We're praying to a heavenly father who loves to hear from us and loves to respond. And this understanding should greatly shape our prayer posture. We confess without shame or fear. We praise without reservation and we ask without doubt. And finally, Jesus tells his disciples what to pray. He gives them a model to shape their own prayers around. Author Del Ralph Davis, he's helpfully organized this into the five Ps of prayer. First of all, personal, our Father. As we just discussed, we look to God as our Father, someone that we have a close and intimate relationship with. Then there's preeminence, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. God is over and above all things in heaven and on earth. He should therefore be praised and revered as such. And our desire is that his everlasting kingdom is established on earth. Provision, give us each day our daily bread. We look to God to take care of our every need, completely dependent on him for all things. Pardon, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We confess our sin to God and receive his forgiveness found in Christ. And that same act of grace charges us to forgive others. And finally, protection, lead us not into temptation. We acknowledge our spiritual enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we ask God for his deliverance. And these are the hooks upon which our prayers to God are placed. They center them on God's sovereignty and grace, and they fix our gaze above as it always should be. And this concept is often referred to in church as a liturgy, Um, And I had a great part about liturgy, and then Raph stole my thunder. (laughs) But you you just read our generosity liturgy. But what, what is a liturgy? 
Well, the clinical definition is a form or formulary uh, according to which public religious worship, especially Christian worship, is conducted. In layman's terms, it basically refers to the order of a church service. So, for example, what would be the liturgy of this service? Well, we start with some worship, then we hear some notices about the church, then we have someone give a sermon, and then we respond to worship at the end. However, author and academic James K.A. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, he expands upon the term liturgy even more. Smith calls what forms people liturgies, by which he means rituals or practices that are repeated and powerful in a person's life. Liturgies direct a person's love or desire towards something. And these liturgies can be explicit or implicit. They can be sacred or secular. And he says this, liturgies aim our love to different ends precisely by training our hearts through our bodies. They prime us to approach the world in a certain way, to value certain things, to aim for certain goals, to pursue certain dreams, to work together on certain projects. In short, every liturgy con constitutes a pedagogy that teaches us in all sorts of precognitive ways to be a certain kind of person. So for example, when we recite our generosity liturgy, um, it's not just words we're saying, it's as Raf said, we're seeking with this habit to train our hearts to believe in and to commit to the words that we're reciting, to be generous people, to not use all that God has given us on ourselves alone, but to choose sacrificial generosity. So in the same way, the Lord's Prayer is like a praying liturgy because it seeks to train our hearts on what we should be striving for and placing value in as we pray as followers of Jesus. But then here's something to think about. If we're being honest, and I mean if we're being really honest, does the Lord's Prayer really reflect what's going on in our hearts today? Or have we institutionalized it so much that now it's just something we say at events like weddings and christenings or even the king's coronation? When you think about how many people don't go to church regularly and yet when the Lord's Prayer comes up, it's like verbatim. They just know it off by heart. But does it really bear any weight? What would the unspoken liturgy of our prayer life sound like if it was read out today? Maybe it would sound something like this. Um, and this is a prayer that I wrote, and I just want to say, show grace, okay? Because we can't all be like the poetrician at the back, all right? I just tried to do it a little ting, and I hope it's all right, okay? <laughs> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, but only in the places where I won't feel ashamed. I'm sure you understand why sometimes that hallow is a lot less brave and a lot more shallow. Your kingdom come, but not too soon, because I've got plans and things to do. Don't get me wrong, I still welcome your glory, so long as it doesn't affect my own story. Give us each day our daily bread, and while you're at it, bring the milk and the eggs. Grant us our greed until it doesn't make sense, even if it is at another's expense. Forgive us our sins, the ones within sight, 
for we don't need to bring everything to the light. And we'll forgive others when things are mishandled, but only so far, otherwise they'll get cancelled. And lead us not into temptation's lair. Instead, we'll pretend like it's no longer there. We'll tamper with truth and leave it all twisted. It will be as if evil had never existed. For the kingdom, the power and glory are yours. That's what we'll tell them, but we all know the score. Recite the Lord's Prayer with fervor and glee, all while living the gospel according to me. Pause. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's all the Lord. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, if we're being honest, this prayer is probably more accurate in our lives than we'd like it to be. And could it be that Jesus gave his disciples a model of prayer, not just to tell them what to say, but to fundamentally teach them how to live as well? If the band could come back up. I want to leave us with the words of one of my favorite faith heroes, Corrie Ten Boom. Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? I know there's some of us here who are raring to go with these upcoming prayer events, but there's also lots of us, myself included, who maybe need to take this time this morning to say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And as I said at the beginning, we have a gentle, loving, and patient Heavenly Father who is willing and able to meet this request. He can take these longings and these desires that are disordered now and he can replace them with his own desires, desires that are found in him that ultimately only he can satisfy. So as we go into this time of worship, it would be great if we could fix our gaze above once again and cry out to God and say, Lord, teach me how to pray not just in words, but in heart. Teach me how to fix my gaze on you, how to cry out for the things that you long for. Because let's be honest, like the world is crazy right now and it could really do with more people praying for God's kingdom to come. More people praying for Jesus's love and mercy to shine out to those that need it more prayer for justice to be seen in our time and for those who are broken and lonely and desperate to be met by a God who loves them. I think even more than ever before, we need to pray. We need to pray alone in our rooms and we need to pray together as a church. So I am really excited for you guys as a service. I'm really excited to see what God is going to do. And I pray that this is the start of something, not just, you know, this is the week that we're going to really do everything great. And then after that, we're going to slip off the radar. No, let this time of prayer be the start of something that's just going to grow exponentially, where we can really see um, revival in our time. We can really see God's love just overflow into our communities, into our families and friends, into our city. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we love you. 
we thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done for us, for your son. We thank you that your word teaches us how to pray. And Lord, we ask again, will you teach us how to pray? Will you teach us how to cry out to you with hearts that long for you more than ourselves? Will you give us your spirit once again? And may we look to you as the answer to it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.